0: O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. We have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all of the earth. To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ, grace to you, and peace be multiplied. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for this day, this beautiful, fantastic day. We praise you for the moisture you've given us and every blessing we have in Christ We pray that you would truly cleanse us, Lord, of any sin, help us to come before you in spirit and in truth, that our worship would be a pleasing aroma, rising up to you, Lord. So let's turn now in our pew Bibles to Genesis 35, and we will read all of Genesis 35. That is on page 29. So it's pretty, pretty early on in the, in the Pew Bible. Genesis 35. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us rise and go up to Bethel so I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods they had, and the rings that were in their ears, Jacob hid them under the terror of the tree that were near, was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, and there he built an altar and called the place El-Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him. Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel and they were still some distance from Ephrath. Rachel went into labor and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest the midwife said to her do not fear for you have another son. And as her soul was departing for she was dying she called his name name Ben-Anoim. But his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulon. The sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant. Dan, and Naphtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abram and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. And Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob Buried him. Please turn in your few you Bible Mark chapter 3 that's be page 838 and i going to read actually I'll start with verse 6 I will read through verse 21 although I did kind of call an audible on the sermon, I will not be preaching through verse 21. I'll stop at verse 19 since it seems like verses 20 and 21 maybe are better hook with the rest of chapter 3 of Mark. But I will read from verse 6 through verse 21 for our New Testament and our sermon reading. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a bow ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases passed, pressed around him to touch him. Now whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Lanerjus, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him.
1: Then he went home,
0: and the crowds gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. We praise you for your word, Lord. Work it into our hearts. Help us to understand everything you'd have us to know concerning this this great event by the sea and the healing and the preaching and the exercising of demons, Lord, and also that we would know about your (coughs) new kingdom you are building and these twelve men that you appoint to build it. And we pray this, Lord, in your Son's name. Amen. So we we finished off with verse 6 last time. And in verse 6, we read that the Pharisees were teaming up with their hated rivals, the Herodians, to destroy Christ. Because they just could not deal with the fact that he was doing good on the Sabbath. That he was not adhering to all their man-made barriers that they had put around the Word of God. And that was too much for them. They finally decided, that's it. We're going to go talk to those who are Herod's buddies and friends and we're going to, we're going to take this man down. And so Jesus, knowing this, as we know, we have read that he, he knew the minds of the Pharisees, Decides to to go away, to take some some time to withdraw with his disciples to the sea, and to start in earnest his rejection of the religious political order that was enslaving the people of God. So Jesus seeks solitude with his disciples and 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 to be removing himself from the Pharisees and the Herodians and their plot to destroy him. And of course, as much as he wants to go and be alone, his fame has spread, as we've we've read about before. And in fact, the the crowd that we see here gathered uh, around Jesus in this day is is different from uh, the largely Galilean Jewish crowd that we've been seeing gathered around him. We're told that uh, folks from Edomia, uh, beyond the Jordan, from Tyre and Sidon, largely pagan Gentile strongholds, that people from there were coming. And certainly that would probably include Jews that are dwelling there as well. But uh, it's hard to believe that there wouldn't be amongst this crowd some of the unclean Gentiles that were now being drawn to Christ. That His fame had spread His Word. That His great miracles were now being broadcast outside of uh, Galilee and, and Judea. And so, while the elites the Pharisees and the Herodians are, are plotting against Jesus. He's, he's drawing all, all people to himself. They are coming to him. And this, once again, follows a, a familiar pattern that we've seen. Now, most recently, uh, we kind of noticed that, that the, the healings and the exorcisms had kind of died down to a dull roar, and he was doing more preaching. Uh, which is what he was called to do and what he tells us is his main focus is to preach the kingdom of God. Because you know, he was kind of saturating. They were saturating Capernaum and Galilee. Uh, but now a new bunch of people are coming and these people have not been healed. They've not been exercised of demons. And so, Jesus does this. He, he is a God of compassion and love. And there's nothing he hates worse, as we've said before, than than to see his people suffering with illnesses. To see them disfigured and marred with demon possession because when the, the demons possessed people, you know, they wanted to destroy them. They hate those made in God's image. And they cut themselves and they disfigure their faces and they make it so that you cannot see the image of God in man, and so when Jesus sees this, he he cures the diseases. He knows that we're all called to eventually suffer and die. That's that's our lot in life, is because of sin. And he, in fact, will will do the same. But when people are in front of him suffering, he holds out his hand and he and he heals them. When the demons are driving these people mad, He sends them out. And the demons say, Oh, you are the Son of God. Thinking that this is a way for them to gain control over Him. You know, you call out somebody's name and, and all of a sudden they're attentive and listening and, and you think you can work uh, with them. And, and he's, they're calling him the Son of God. They're seeking to flatter Jesus. And we know how flattery works. We've all done it. When we want something from someone, what do we do? Hey, that was great. That was wonderful. And you know, we've all done that and we've all had it done to us. (coughs) But you know, you can't flatter the Lord God Almighty. He's kind of beyond that. Any good you say of Him, is true now. When, when when people compliment me, which you know doesn't happen a lot, but when they do, I always think, "Yes, yeah, you don't really know me." That's now, if you knew me, you wouldn't be saying that about me. And I've, I've tried, and that's that's not good either, because we should, you know, be able to to take compliments and uh, and be respectful and and polite and. Uh, the flattery is a, a whole whole different thing. And, and Scripture, especially in Proverbs, talks about the flatterer and that this is the way people kind of worm their way in to get what they want from you or that you might be doing to them. And I, I come from a evangelical tradition from years ago that, you know, people are always talking about, oh, you just got to, We've Always got to speak words of encouragement, always encourage, 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 encourage. And friends, there's a brothers and sisters, there certainly is a place for that, but that's not all we are called to do. I always thought that was kind of strange, you know, because we're we are supposed to help one another and correct one another, and, and those are ways to bless one another as well. And that, and the flatterer. Uh,
1: is, is
0: a conniving person. We've all been conniving people. And I, there was a, a pastor a few years ago, an OPC pastor, Orthodox Presbyterian Church, who was studying this and, and noticing the effects of, uh, of flattery. And he uh, wrote an article, and I, I don't remember if it was tongue-in-cheek, and I tried to look it up, But his last name is Jones, as everybody else's is apparently. And uh, uh, I couldn't find the article. And, uh, you know, he he determined that he was not going to compliment and praise anybody for a year so that he would not be guilty of uh, flattery. Uh, And I think that's kind of going too far. That might ruin your marriage and family and (laughs) church relations and work relations and everything. Um, but uh, the point's taken that you know we've got to we got to watch this, and that's what this demon was was trying to do with Christ—flatter him, gain control, some kind of get his claws into him, get his hooks into him. But Jesus rebuked him, sent him away, and and we learned that this. This crowd, this crowd of demoniacs and people who needed healing and people who wanted to hear the word of God was, was just crushing it on Jesus. He even had to put him in a boat. He had to say, Hey, can you guys buy me a boat? I can go out and 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 not be crushed by this crowd. And so they, they did that. And you can imagine that you know Jesus had wanted to get away earlier and go to the sea. And so now he determines, all right, I'm going to the mountain. And he takes off up into the mountain. Luke tells us in his account, what does Jesus do when he's exhausted and tired and needs rest? He prays all night to the Father. He prayed all night in preparation for what he was about to do. And what was birthed out of this great prayer and this preparation, him being with the Father all night, the calling of his twelve disciples. They were able to get away from the crowd, and after praying all night, he calls his twelve to him. And and, and and why does he call the twelve? Is there any significance to this number twelve? We'll talk about that in a minute. And he, why is it that he? What is the important? As we look at this Scripture, why does He call these twelve? And I'm going to read from the NKJV. It uh, gives you this feeling a little better. He went up on the mountain and He called to Him those He Himself wanted. These men were chosen according to the, the will, the prerogative of Christ. It was all about His will being done. He is starting the new Israel. He is starting to put into place the new covenant. He has been rejected by the Pharisees and the Herodians. And what was promised in the Old Testament, He is starting to bring to fruition. And why did He choose these twelve men? Well, I mean, they, they were pretty important people. I mean, four of them were fishermen. Now, yeah. nobody gets more important than fishermen. I mean, everybody listens to fishermen. Ah, one was a tax collector. The Jews loved the tax collectors. That was a great choice. Now, these men were chosen by by Christ. Why? We're never, ever going to know until we get to heaven. He didn't choose them because they were high-ranking officials that could help him organize His kingdom. He chose them. Just out of his prerogative to choose men that he could murder to do his will. That God the Father would get the glory for the advancement of his kingdom. That's about the only way we can figure this happened. I mean, look at the guys he chose. One was a zealot that wanted to murder all the Romans. And one was a tax collector that wanted to get money for the Romans. That zealot wanted to kill that tax collector. Almost guaranteed when they first got together. Yeah, the sons of thunder, they would call down lightning on people that they were upset at. Kinda of were a little unstable. Peter, that rock. Kind of a little stone at first. It took Peter a long time before he would be firm in his faith. Jesus had to and the Holy Spirit had to work on him. So he became Peter the Rock. So these twelve, they, Jesus calls them and they come. This is, they're right there immediately. And, and the twelve is significant. We just read in Genesis 35. What did God say to Jacob? You are now Israel. Kings and nations are coming from you. Jesus is now forming a new Israel, a new covenant with twelve men that He is going to empower to preach, to heal, to drive out demons and to just take Down the kingdom of Satan and break its walls down, setting up the kingdom of Christ. The elites have rejected him, and that makes this necessary that he picks out his twelve and they start advancing his kingdom. Now we notice that what's the first thing it says? That he is to do, or that he does. He appointed 12 so that they might be with him. Jesus is, is, is picking 12 men six whom we have really no background information whatsoever about, and six I've kind of talked about a little bit that we know a little bit about, but he picks these 12 men to work with him to build his kingdom. These men, he will be with them every day, at all times, everywhere, for three years. An intensive, immersive time of preparation and learning. But it starts with them being with Him. Just as Jesus was with the Father all night, praying, and He's been with the Father for all eternity. And as you read from from Genesis on down, you have God walking with Adam in the garden. You have God with His people. In Genesis fifteen that was or sorry, thirty five that we read it, it was striking that God is with Jacob on a couple of different occasions there. And you shall call his name Emmanuel, the prophet Isaiah says. God with us. I will be with you even to the end of the age, Jesus promises his apostles. And this is the beginning of that apostolic training where Jesus culminates it with, I will be with you even to the end of the age. You are to go forth and and baptize and, and train disciples. This is where that starts. And we can look at Acts 4.13. This is a great little story when Peter and John had healed a man and he's called before the Sanhedrin because they've been preaching and they healed this man. And, you know, people are coming to Christ. This kingdom is growing. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Oh, they weren't uh, uneducated and untrained. You can believe that. They were well educated. Perfectly trained. In the seminary of Christ. With the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But they didn't understand. This new Israel. Of God. This new kingdom. But they knew that he had been with Jesus. And as they rejected him. They still knew that Jesus was the one who healed and preached and proclaimed. And so we see there that they are with Jesus every day and every night for three years. And and what is the the first thing Jesus tells them uh, that he's going to train them to do? That's to preach. That's what Jesus was called to do. That's what He has come to do. Every time He's healing people, he's like, but the the important thing is, yeah, I heal you, but you're going to be sick and die later on. What you need to do is hear the Word of the Lord. That's the important thing. That's what's going to keep you alive forever. And so, just as Jesus did, as John did, as Jeremiah, Isaiah, Elijah... Moses, Noah, Enoch, Abraham, Seth. He's calling these men to preach. Just as it was shown in the Old Testament. And why? You know, God doesn't need Moses. He doesn't need Charles Spurgeon. St. Augustine, he doesn't need me or anybody else to preach his word. God could perfectly do everything without using us. We're not all that. We're not necessary. God could do what he wants and save people any way he saw fit. But this is just an amazing and humbling truth that God uses us weak vessels to store the most explosive dynamite of the Gospel and His Word to build His kingdom. It is an incredibly humbling thing to know that God doesn't need great preachers. He can do things however He wants, but He uses men. He uses His people to push forth His kingdom. To build it up. This is how God builds His kingdom. The ordinary, everyday preaching of His Word. Convicting us of our sin, telling us of Christ's greatness and our <coughs> great need for Him so that we can rest in Christ for all eternity as the Holy Spirit works in us and grows us. And what, what is this message that they are to preach? Oh, well, you remember John the Baptist? What did, what did John the Baptist preach? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Then what did Jesus preach? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And then when you look uh, forward from here, what do the disciples preach? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Now, I undoubtedly dressed that up a little bit more, but that was the core of their message. That is the core of our message each and every week. It's simple. But I'm simple. That's what I need to hear. I need Christ. I need to turn from my ways. I need to seek and walk in the Spirit. I need to grow His kingdom. Now what's more, this preaching is a distinguishing mark of the church. As Article 29 of the Belgian Confession tells us, where the pure doctrine of the gospel is preached, that is a mark of the church. Along with proper uh, understanding and use of the sacraments and church discipline. Those are the three marks of a true church. And it starts with the preaching of the word. Everything is centered around the word. The preaching, the sacraments and church discipline. And it starts with going through the scripture and understanding it so that these confessions come to life and we can understand them. And then we see that, uh, that they're also given power to heal and to exercise demons. And this is... Uh, a an apostolic gift. That's that's part of of the proclamation of the kingdom of God. That He is coming. You know, if you remember, just as the uh, the twelve number is important. You know, that they also went up on a mountain. And where did where did Israel get their constitution from? It was on Mount Sinai. And so they're in the mountains getting their directions, not necessarily getting the whole constitution like the first Israel did, but this is the beginning of the marching orders for the new Israel. And what happened right before the first covenant was inaugurated? Signs and miracles and wonders. And what happens now? Ending up in the greatest miracle that's ever occurred. Jesus is going to go around and his apostles are going to go around healing people, signs and miracles, raising people from the dead as the new covenant is being inaugurated in the blood of Christ. So then he names the disciples and, you know, he gives the nicknames of Peter and and Sons of Thunder and, um, I don't know. I suppose some people make a lot of the, of the names and how they're organized. But uh, uh, the first few names, first four names are always the same, starting with Peter, then the middle four names are always the same, maybe in a different order than the last four. Uh, and the different accounts are, are all the same as well. Um, and uh, uh, so he names his 12, and he's training them for the work ahead. For the kingdom expansion that they are expected to be a part of. Excepting, of course, one. It's interesting as we read verse 6. The Pharisees and Herodians are planning to destroy him. The, and then the verses we'll get into next time. Um, I'm blessed to be up here. It is about how his family's coming after him because he's out of his mind. And then we read verse 19. And Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. From within and without. Jesus is facing uh, problems. People coming against him. So, so what do we do? What about us? How does this affect us? Well, don't be impressed by demonic praise. Don't be flattered. Don't let people get a hold of you by saying flowery things, and at the same time also don't don't be skeptical of people that are your friends and neighbors and
1: and say nice things. I don't want this
0: to be people to understand that uh, anytime someone says nice, well, you we better better not take it seriously. No, but we know we know when people are trying to dig their claws into us. And a square at first you think, oh man. That's crazy. How could they say that? And then, you know, the second, third time they say something nice about you, you're like, "Oh yeah, oh that's yeah, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, that's great." And then they've got your claws in you, and they can do whatever they want. And we've all done the same things. We just we don't want to be impressed by demonic praise, by flattery, and we are also looking for a new pastor and we need to make sure that that pastor is one who loves to be with Jesus who loves the Lord who takes time to to prepare the word for every Sunday morning and who loves to be with his people Just as he loves to be with Jesus. If you love to be with Jesus, then Jesus is going to cause you to love to be with your people and and to care for the sick and lay hands on them and and bless them and uh, counsel them and be with them. So let's keep that in the back of our minds as as we search for a pastor and and consider a pastor the one that the Lord has for for St. John's that this is a pastor that that you could tell has been with Christ and is filled with the Holy Spirit and is ready to storm the gates of hell with the kingdom of God. And finally, we need to praise Christ that we're now part of the Israel of God. God told Jacob, You're going to have nations and kings come from you? That's us. You know, we're here in Lincoln, Nebraska. I think Mount Sinai is more than a day's drive from here. I don't know. Or Bethel, where Jacob was. The new Israel of God, the new covenant has spread all over the world and is not finished. We need to praise Christ that we are a part of his great work. And we need to keep in mind that he is ever expanding and growing and, and he is using us to push forth his kingdom. Let us remember that we can't flatter Christ. We do need to praise Him. Unashamedly, all the time. We can be flattered. We can't flatter Christ, though. Let's keep Him central in our every thought and everything we do throughout this week. Amen. We thank You, Lord, for Your blessed truth, Lord, in all things. And You are so awesome. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Truly give us wisdom and bless us as we go forth today in the power of your spirit. Amen.